Welcome to the Epiphany Exchange, a monthly podcast series where our special guests share strategies and innovations in literacy, leadership, and instructional best practices. I'm your host, Richard Bork, Chief Marketing Officer of Educational Epiphany, and it's such an incredible honor for me to introduce Dr. Daniel Dickey, a nationally recognized authority on curriculum, instruction, organizational development, and administration of schools. Dr. Dickey brings 20-plus years of leadership experience in public education. He has authored and published over 35 professional books through his work as the founder and chief executive officer of Educational Epiphany, a leading provider of standards-based instructional materials and groundbreaking professional development. His ideas for school improvement and organizational effectiveness are used to improve the lives and schooling experiences for children all across the world. So let's dive right in into this month's new episode. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the fourth edition of the Epiphany Exchange. Uh, my name is Richard Bork. I'm Chief Marketing Officer of Educational Epiphany, and I'm so honored today to be a part of this conversation where we're kind of switching things up and we've got our very first special guest on the show. So we're just going to jump right in today because we're super fired up about um, the fact that we have a guest on the show, um, Principal Constance Goodwine-Lewis. Um, she comes from Broad River, Broad River Elementary School in Beaufort County School, South Carolina. And I'm going to pass it over to our Chief Executive Officer and Founder, Dr. Danielle Dickey. Doc, always a pleasure. Great to see hey, you. Hey, Richard, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you for hosting our podcast today. And hello, Constance Goodwine-Lewis. Thank you so much for being our inaugural special guest. We're so honored to have you on the show. All right, so let's get started. Here's our first question. We'd love to uh, ask you if you can share with us what inspired you to be an educator. Absolutely, and good morning first, and thank you all for this opportunity. I'm so excited about being your inaugural guest. Um, why did Constance Goodwine-Lewis um, decide to become an educator? First and foremost, I've always had the idea instilled in me from a young age that an education is the one thing that can never be taken away from you. Mm. Knowing that a solid education can change the whole trajectory of a family leading to community impact just excites me and can't leave out the great teachers that I've had throughout my life. And I got to name a couple of them. <laughs> Brenda Franklin, Arlene Bates and Linda Crower. Y'all, Linda Crower taught me 32 years ago you know, when I was two and um, she was my English one teacher and she had such an impact on me that my oldest friend, my BFF of 40 years, and I went to visit her this summer. Oh, wow. Uh, Constance, I have one of those teachers in my educational journey as well. His name is Mr. Tripodo. <laughs> and, um, you know, I came from abject poverty and Constance the, the, my teacher, he knew it, but like he quietly supported me one day after school. Uh, he asked me to stay back for a few moments um, and he handed me an envelope and he said, don't open it until you get home. And I opened that envelope when I got home and there was a note in it. Uh, and the note said, you earned it, son. Enjoy yourself at prom. And in it, accompanied by the letter was, you know, enough cash for me to take care of all of my prom expenses. Amazing. Yeah. So I know what impact uh, an educator uh, can have on the trajectory of a child's life. It doesn't always have to be monetary, right? It could be encouragement. Exactly. So 
Absolutely. Uh, I share that the same sentiment um, that educators are really important in the development uh, of our children. Yeah. So, Constance, tell us a little bit about your school community. So, first and foremost, I just need everyone who's listening to know that I have the most fantastic school in the world, right? So, the home of the starfish, you won't find a better school. But specifically about our school, we are a Title I school. So, school wide program. You know, some schools have a partial Title I, but we're Title I school. We average about 70% um, poverty index from year to year. We have a lot of novice teachers. Um, about 55% of our staff is typically new each year. And um, when I say new, let me define that zero to three years. We have a very transient population as well, which is very typical with a high poverty index. And then um, we are one of the largest military impacted schools. So we have a vast amount of military dependent children. Um, so it makes for a really cool um, environment. Um, and we're heavy minority. Um, and our minorities are African-American and of Latin descent in terms of the minority groups um, that we see in our building. Um, amazing kids, it's a true community school. Um, it's not rare to hear things like, I went to school here when you're walking with a parent or even a grandparent. So um, truly um, a community school. Our school had its first day in 1957. So that tells you how long um, this school has been impacting the community here. Yeah. And Constance, what contributes to your transience? So the military. Okay. Um, Typically, they rotate out about three, every three years. Um, sometimes our naval, our sailors um, may stay a little longer, but our Marines definitely is usually every three years. And then also, um, typically with poverty, people move. You know, people who um, live in poverty kind of move around a lot. That's pretty typical. And so within probably a eight-mile radius, mm -hmm. it's two other elementary programs. So we call it the triangle, you know, yeah. in terms of I may get a student um, the first quarter and then they may transition to one of the other schools by the second quarter after Christmas, another school. And I might end the year with that student, you know, um, it's kind of how things can work sometimes. Why? Right. I, I believe that's one of the, you know, reasons why, you know, instructional programming has to be consistent across a system of schools. So that when there is, you know, transients, children are met with instructional stability. Absolutely. Uh -huh. So if there's something I can do to help you with that, if we haven't already, you pl please let me know. OK, of course. Absolutely. OK, so let's, let's go further here, Constance. Um, how did you become acquainted with our work here at Educational Epiphany? Oh, you want to know our story. Mm -hmm. Right. How we met. Is that yes, what you're saying? Yeah, our love story. <laughs> our instructional love story. Yes, <laughs> yes, our instructional love story. So I like that. Um, so I was introduced to the great Dr. Dickey and the phenomenal work at Educational Epiphany, um, actually through my partnership with Scholastic Literacy. Um, the amazing Kelly Brown, um, my Scholastic rep, introduced us at dinner. Um, she sponsored a dinner in Myrtle Beach during an administrator's conference. 
I remember she that. Said, you remember that? <laughs> yeah. You remember that, right? I remember and that. She said, you've got to come to this dinner because I want you to meet our lead author, right? Because you're you're our first school pilot, full school pilot. I want you, you know, to meet the lead author. You know, he's amazing. You're going to love him and he's going to love you. You guys are amazing. You know, you guys need to connect basically. And so she was like, I'm going to make sure he sits at your table. And, you know, so she was really, you know, adamant about the fact that we needed to meet and the fact that she felt that our connectivity, you know, could just generate this great energy, right. And do some great things. Um, And so that is how I met you. Right. So, you know, dinners can feel sometimes like obligatory, those types of dinners, you know, can feel obligatory. But I do remember that, Constance, like right away we connected Mm -hmm. on, you know, a whole lot of topics regarding, you know, children, instruction, school improvement, literacy. uh, And I'm happy to still be in partnership with you. All right. So let's keep going. Um, Can you share with our listeners? some details about your school improvement journey and how educational epiphany has been a part of it? Absolutely. So, you know, I like stories, but I like stories with happy endings, right? I'm a Hallmark kind of girl. You know, I dabble with Lifetime, but, you know, I I like happy endings, right? (laughs) Um, (laughs) I don't know where this is going, but go ahead. (laughs) and so when I was reading the story of my data like I didn't like it you know it was more lifetime than Hallmark and I wasn't feeling that Mm. so you know I made a decision I said you know I can't accept that most of my students can't read because that's the story that this data is telling right so I had to first reflect and then I had to facilitate a really deep reflection amongst my leadership team and then my school family as an entirety, right? Because I had to get us to accept that, hey, maybe we're not doing something right. Um, Not that we're not working hard because teachers never want to hear that they're not working hard. And the teachers at Broad River Elementary definitely work extremely hard. So it's not that we're not working hard. It's just that we're not working right. So we did some root cause analysis and SWOT analysis, you know, all the things that we do when we're trying to problem solve, right? And we determined that, hmm, with the number of novice teachers that we have and some of our other um, threats, right? Um, We needed more of a turnkey resource to put into the hands of our teachers, especially the new ones. And we really need to develop their pedagogy and build their instructional tool belts, right? As it relates to literacy. And so Scholastic Literacy, whose lead author is who? None other than the CEO of Educational Epiphany, um, Dr. Danielle Dickey, became the turnkey resource. And then Educational Epiphany became our partner in building that pedagogy and adding to our teacher's school belt. And so that's, you know, just the clearest picture. You know, I love analogies. That's why you love me. Um, (laughs) So now we're looking more like a Hallmark movie, right? Um, Than a Lifetime movie. Yeah, but no, Constance, I appreciate the way you describe the, the relationship and the resource, turnkey. And this whole idea that teachers, you know, they don't drive to school thinking, you know, I can't wait to get to school today to underserve other people's children. (laughs) You know, nobody's going to school to 
end up in what's the kind of movie you say? Uh, a lifetime a, movie. Lifetime. You know, right. someone chasing yeah. you with a knife. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. <laughs> to, to be engaged in one of those traumatic experiences as an educator. Like no one wants to intentionally underserve children. I don't believe that. Right. right? And so the whole idea that, you know, teachers benefit from not necessarily having a script, right? Because I think you give a script to people you don't trust. Rather, giving teachers access to a turnkey resource that supports them. Because it's one thing to hold folks accountable, uh, Constance, for serving kids well. But it's another thing to hold them accountable through supporting them. In my opinion, accountability without support is just harassment. I think you've heard me say that before. I have, and I love it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Thank you, Constance. So can you, let's go a little deeper here. Can you describe the professional development and the educational resources uh, that you and your team members now have access to as a result of your partnership with Educational Epiphany? We um, have received and are continuing to receive very extensive professional development directly from you, um, Dr. Dickey, around your four practices, right? So Broad River Elementary right now is really focusing on performance-based objectives, gradual release model, and your work around academic vocabulary. And so some of the resources um, that we have utilized from Educational Epiphany are your unpacked standards, um, your next generation informational and literacy text glossaries, um, the getting started resources for elementary, your interpretation and resource guides for um, literacy and math. And we love those literacy cards, right? And so you and I have also had so much um, dialogue, right, in discourse around assessments. And I know that you have recently developed some assessments and we're talking about, you know, looking at utilizing those resources as well. Um, in our next steps, right, we're looking at moving now transitioning into writing, um, working more with you um, in the area of writing. So. We're enjoying this partnership tremendously. You said so much there, Constance. I got to unpack some of it, okay? Do you mind? <laughs> God. Like, I guess not, Dr. Dickey. Go ahead, unpack me, okay? Yeah, and I'm going to be a resource that you're going to add to educational epiphany. Yeah, okay? absolutely. Done deal. <laughs> Consider it done. So look, so you mentioned the interpretation and resource guides, like the, the sort of like uh, the resource to help teachers to like unpack the standards. Like for me, I think we've been unpacking the same standards for like a decade or more. And yes. I keep saying to myself, how long are we going to keep unpacking the same standards? And so I sat down, it took me a year, but I sat down and just like once and for all just said, here is what this standard is asking us to produce for children to consume. So I, I interpreted the standard. I lifted reminders for teachers uh, around the standards, like, hey, remember, don't tell kids that main idea is the first sentence of the paragraph because that's not always true, right? And, and then, like, misconceptions that kids are going to bring with them to the teaching and learning experience relative to the standard. How does, you know, because you mentioned Scholastic, and you're right, I'm in partnership with them, and they are uh, one of my um, major friends in the publishing industry. How does the work with Educational Epiphany and Scholastic how has that those how have those resources really helped your teachers to position themselves to serve children well or to serve children even better than they were uh, before our relationship began? So it's provided teachers, you know, with more comfort and confidence around literacy instruction. 
their content knowledge is growing. They're spending less time on, I'm sorry, they're spending more time on planning versus locating resources to teach the standards. You know, teachers are not curriculum writers, you know, by nature, Mm -hmm. you know, therefore having a viable and guaranteed curriculum and a tool belt of proven practices, you know, it helps them then in turn use that, utilize that time for collaboration and securing ultimate learning outcomes for our babies. And so it's changed the focus. You know, the focus was on gathering resources, like a scavenger hunt for resources. Now it's how do we use this? You know, how do we teach the mastery with this standard, you know, and with these resources? So it's just allowed for a lot more academic discourse among teachers. And I'm loving it. Yeah. OK, look, I'm so happy now. I'm I'm, I'm ready now. I got another question. It's not in my interview protocol, but I, so I'm going to be a renegade here. OK, so. Constance, you talked about academic language, and this country has been talking about academic language for decades. I remember even when I was a a classroom teacher in horse and pony days, right? And so, you know, how has academic language, like, risen to the surface of your instructional programming? And what are you noticing about student academic language lexicon? So basically we're calibrated, right? So our instructional and academic language is calibrated. So visualization is visualization everywhere at Broad River. It's not like 50 definitions for it. You know, so when the student A says to student B that they're using visualization to understand a text, that student knows exactly what they're talking about because they, they are all being taught the same language. When teachers engage in conversations, right? So when they're going to someone to get some assistance or some support and they're collaborating, obviously, again, they're speaking the same language. Mm -hmm. As an instructional leader, when I'm going in to support teachers, I'm speaking the same language and I understand what they're saying and I know what they should be saying. And it allows me to be more supportive. It also allows me to jump in conversations with students and support lessons Um, you know, as the principal, you know, I can come in and support the lessons because I'm not going to give a different definition or say something different than what the teacher is saying, because Mm -hmm. we're all speaking the same language. Constance, what you just described is the Sistine Chapel of teaching and learning. (laughs) Don't you hear the music? I hear the music. I do. I I hear the birds too. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Constance, another thing you mentioned, you talked about our literacy kit. And in our, inside of our literacy kit, we have, uh, you know, given teachers access to the 44 phonemes and the 144 graphemes that represent those sounds. And we've also given teachers access to the 30 most commonly occurring prefixes, root words, and suffixes that are going to make up most of the words that are going to be unfamiliar to kids that they encounter when they read. How has the literacy kit transformed instruction in your building? So one of the things through the use of the performance-based objectives, you know, there's a lot of taking the time to ensure that students understand what in the world we're supposed to be learning, you know, not um, just word calling, right? So Mm -hmm. I know what it means to describe, right, Um, or decode. Um, And so utilizing those cards also to help break apart words that students may not know or understand that show up in those performance objectives is one way that those cards are definitely utilized. Um, the kids refer to them as the red, green, you know, <laughs> right? Because they're all yeah. color coded. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, so definitely, and again, 
is building the instructional tool belt, right? And pedagogy for the teachers, because let's face it, elementary teachers especially are a jack of all trades and a master of none. So it's okay to know what you don't know, but it's not okay to not learn it, right? So that also helps teachers to learn and understand and make sure that they're consistent with what those word parts mean as well. You know, are you telling me that teachers discovered that they didn't know what they didn't know about the phonemes, graphemes and word parts? Yes, but don't tell anybody because teachers know everything and you can't give our secrets away, Dr. Dick. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, yeah, no, (laughs) my family thinks I can win Jeopardy because I'm a teacher. They, they think I know everything, literally. We know I, everything. We see yeah. everything. We have eyes in the back of our head. I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's Okay, true. we got to keep it's, it going like Santa Claus now. We can't, yeah. you know. It's true. We only know as individuals what we know. And it's okay not to know, Constance. But what I think education, educators have to, the posture that educators have to be in is, a, is this posture. Okay, I don't know. I've just discovered I don't know. And that's okay. But I cannot stay in the dark as it comes to a, a body of knowledge, if if knowledge of that body of knowledge is going to help children to get to proficiency and beyond. Exactly. Absolutely. Amen. Okay. All right. Okay. So we already kind of alluded to this question uh, just in our natural conversation, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, Constance, what are some of the main differences that you see uh, with your teachers as a result of our partnership? And some of the differences you see with your children and um, any other key observations or differences uh, that you've seen that you would like to share. So, like I said, you know, just the difference in how time is spent, mm-hmm. you know, um, planning time, collaboration time is spent truly on planning instruction and not gathering resources. Mm-hmm. It's truly um, spent on looking at student work. And ensuring mastery of standards and learning targets. Um, I noticed that, you know, students are they're they're improving, right? Their performance is improving, which means that their understanding is improving because we all know that teaching equals learning. Mm-hmm. Um, I you want to get me hot? Yeah. Say I taught it. I taught it. They just didn't learn it. Like yeah. that gets somebody, you know, that just gets under my skin. Because teaching equals learning. If you taught it, then they would have learned it. So we have to be humble enough to realize we didn't teach it effectively. You know, let's regroup and let's go back and retry this. Um, so are you saying the mindship for that? But Constance, are you saying that teachers' mind shift has 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 moved? Absolutely. Absolutely. Teachers' mindsets have moved. I need to make sure I correct myself here. <laughs> Sorry. Yes, be grammatically correct. correct. (laughs) (laughs) How am I talking about literacy and my my subject, my verb don't agree? Okay, so that's right, Godfather of literacy. Get it together. Right. Okay, so teachers' mindsets have, you know, transformed. Can can you talk? Can you unpack that a little bit, Constance? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I mean, I know you are the facilitator of the um, conversation. And so I'm going to jump into like another question that will answer your question. Yeah, that sure. okay? <laughs> yeah that's fine. Because, you know, I am the bossy little sister, so I, I need to play that role. In the Talk me around, um, <laughs> So when I talk about how the mindset has shifted, 
So when I look at the instructional work that we have accomplished with our partnership with Educational Epiphany, I have to kind of come back and talk about how the foundation was laid for that work. Does that make sense? Sure. Um, it kind of helps tie in how the mindset shift happened, right? So what I noticed when we began to partner, and I think this is what Kelly saw, right? Like Kelly saw it and knew it was going to happen and then it happened, right? Yeah. So I quickly noticed that, you know, having a culture of a growth mindset and a culture of reflectiveness, right? I'm a preach, like you said, I'm a preach. Okay, so in a culture of collaboration mm -hmm. and most importantly, a culture of just doing right by babies, right? So that a lot of work was done to build that culture, right? So because that culture was built, you know, um, in the Bible, it speaks about different types of soil, the stony, the fertile, right? The rocky. Yep. Oh, so yeah. that culture, as in that fertile soil, you know, had to be built in order for your instructional PD and curriculum resources to be utilized, right? And successfully digested by these amazing teachers that I have, right? So in addition to that, my students had to have a culture of self-value, self-confidence, self-respect, and a true desire to learn, you know, and be engaged. And so when we coupled the established culture with your instructional professional development and resources, right, and expertise, magic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, magic, yeah. right? Yeah. So, you know, that's what's up, you know? Yeah. And so I, I really um, just want to take the opportunity to say thank you, um, you know, to you. And if you don't mind me shouting out my principal coach, you know, Dennis McKeezy as well, like the two of you um, have really just inspired me to see my strengths as far as culture building. Mm -hmm. And you have then grown my instructional understanding. And like I said, together we've made magic, right? So yeah. my shameless plug, you know, lead experiences is available to support any <laughs> school in developing a culture for learning so that your soil can be fertile when Dr. Yeah. Dickey comes in and, and works his PD and shares his resources, your soul will be ready to, to grow fruit, right? Good yeah. fruit. Yeah, you know, Constance, you know, you're joking around about your your ability to help others, but it's true. Um, because one, when I walked into your building, your culture is almost tangible. You can almost touch it. It's so good. And, you know, I go a lot of places, I see a lot of faces. And there are few school communities like yours in that. People like each other, or at least they act like they do, right? People respect each other, or at least they act like they do, right? You can't tell the difference. And the, I don't think it really matters, right? Um, I think what really matters is that your ecosystem feels like an ecosystem that's designed to support its members, whether those members be adults or whether those members be, you know, you know, you know, professional adults in the building, whether it be parents or visitors, or, or most importantly, uh, the children. And so there is no corner of that facility that is not characterized by mutual respect, trust, and accountability. And so I know you're joking about it, but it's true. Um, so let me say this. My, I think I have a follow-up question to my question. And, and it is, 
Like, how did you build that culture that we're both describing here? Um, because I think, I mean, culture eats strategy every day for lunch. So can you just briefly talk about the process for building that culture? So really two things built that culture. Well, three things. Prayer. <laughs> for real. Prayer. Uh-huh. Grit. Right. And love. Mm-hmm. Um, so much so that we now have an acronym. We have two acronyms. Um, one that's original and one that we found and loved. So we use it, right? Like we do in education. Um, the original acronym is leadership, opportunity, vision, and an expectation of excellence, right? So that's our original acronym for love. And then the one that we um, like and use is we live off village energy, Mm -hmm. right? So it's a village, you know, um, to accomplish what we accomplish. And so prayer, grit, and love built this culture. You know, everyone wants to be somewhere where where people are happy to see them. I mean, just think about your own personal Mm-hmm. You love going somewhere where people are like, oh, Dr. Dickey, you know, what's yes. up? How you doing? That's why I love coming to your building. See what I'm saying? <laughs> so when you're welcome like that and you're greeted like that and it's genuine and sincere, people are really happy to see you. Yeah. And they're behind you. have a whole village behind you cheering you on. And you can take that in your heart everywhere you go. And, you know, um, borrowing a line from Mary J's song, you know, love is all we need. And that is so legit. I mean, the Bible even tells us that, right? Love, mm-hmm. most of all, most important, right? Yeah. Love, charity, love. Yeah. And so, you know, basically just instilling that understanding, this is our family. You know, Dr. Dickey, you know, what does our shirt say? Hashtag BRES family. Mm-hmm. This is our family, mm-hmm. you know, and we love each other. You know, I tell my students and my staff, y'all can do a lot to get on my last nerve, but <laughs> you're not going to make me not love you. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, I'm going to still love you. <laughs> <laughs> No, I appreciate, I appreciate that. I mean, yeah, it's tangible. Okay, so look, I'm going to redeem myself here with my grammar. So <laughs> teachers, plural, mindsets, plural, have shifted. Okay, so <laughs> let me ask you this question. How have students, because I don't know, uh, Constance, if, if I got what I, what I know I need to hear from you about children, how have they shifted? How has their confidence shifted? How has their academic language shifted? How has their performance shifted? Could you, can we talk about that? Yes. I love talking about my children. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. So, again, the confidence um, in terms, well, actually, I guess having the words, you know, because I always tell you seriously and jokingly, I'm like, you you have all the words, Right. Dr. Dickey has all the words. You know, if I need some words, you know, I know where to go for the words. And so. (laughs) I'm blushing. You can't see it. (laughs) These um, strategies and resources allow them to have the words. Right. So they can talk and they like to talk, you know, as we know. (laughs) How many times have you written that on a report card? Um, So as a comment, you know, about someone talking too much um, or being too social. so. Now they have the academic language to engage in academic discourse because having a casual conversation versus having academic discourse are two different things. And oftentimes children aren't comfortable having academic discourse. 
mm-hmm. because they don't have the words. Yeah. They don't have the words and they don't have the understanding of the words, right? So now I hear more academic discourse when I go into a classroom during a turn and talk because we all know you can say turn and talk about da 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 da. Right. But then when they turn in and talk, and they probably gonna turn and talk about Fortnite or <laughs> something else. <laughs> no, no, I get it. So look, Constance, you know, I was in the classroom and this kid, you know, knew who I was before I, you know, as I walked in. And I, I want you to talk about the kid who walked up to me in a minute in your building um, okay. more than a year ago. And I walked up to this kid. This kid walked up to me. I don't know what happened. I just remember we talked, right? Um, and I said to him, I said, hey, buddy, what are y'all working on? And he said, we're working on functions, right? And in an impoverished community. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but he answered my question without pause. And so, you know what I was doing. I was checking to see if he, he, if he was given equitable access, <laughs> right? Because if he's working on problems involving functions, he should know what a function is. He should know what a function table is, right? And so I said, so Malik, what's a function, a function table? And he said, hey, Doc Dickey, Doc, I can answer that question. Um, it's just a chart with values in it. I said, what kind <laughs> of values, Malik? And he said, X values and Y values. And I said, what, what does X represent, Malik? And he said, well, the, the X and the Y, they both represent two different things. One represents the independent variable and the other one represents the dependent variable. Now, Malik, you could easily misjudge Malik when you look at his cover. If you read his book, like if you read the cover of his book, right, you could misread Malik. Yes. But because Malik had access, Malik could engage me with my intimidating self and my slim fit suit, right? He yeah, couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> right. He wasn't intimidated at all because he had been given access to academic language. So then when prompted to engage in academic discourse, he could do it with ease. Exactly. Is any of that happening in your building? If so, could you describe it? So absolutely. And um, that's pretty much what, you know, like I said, you have all the words. So you just, you know, really articulated it just much better than, you know, I'm learning. Um. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> yes, it definitely happens. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, when I hear those turn and talks, they're now actually truly on topic. You know what I mean? They're not sidebarring. They're yeah. having, like you said, they have the language mm-hmm. to have the academic discourse around what they're being asked to turn and talk about and not feeling the need to shy away from it and have conversations about something else. You know, um, they're able to contribute and add on to, you know, when teachers prompt them by saying, oh, you know, Constance says such and such, you know, does anyone, do you agree or disagree? And if you disagree, why? And if you agree, do you have something to add on um, to what Constance has already said? And they're jumping in. And like you said, a lot of students who you would think would not um, do that and would not engage, they are doing it, um, you know, um, in high numbers. Um, and, you know, can I tell the story about the girl that made you cry? Please. <laughs> I, yeah, you uh, you love to tell this story, but go ahead. I do. It makes I do. Me it's like my favorite story it makes ever. Me, let me grab my tissue, Constance. <laughs> go ahead. <Constance. laughs> so 
your first visit, I think it was your first visit um, to Broad River Elementary because you were so, um, what's the word I want to use? I overcame you, you know, with my passion, right? Yes. And my mission to defeat illiteracy, right? As measured by my state test. (laughs) Right. But don't we love this? You were like, (laughs) okay, this, you know, this, this young lady saying her school is all of that. Like, yeah, let me see. Let me see, you know, if, if her walk match her talk. So, you know, you were like, yeah, I'm going to join that visit when Scholastic come down there. Let me let me see this Broad River Elementary. Yeah. And so um, you um, accompanied them on that visit to um, Broad River. And we went into a first grade classroom and the students were working on, I think it was day two, right, of the graphic organizer. Or maybe it was day four because I think they were working independently. So it was day four mm-hmm. of the graphic organizer. And a young lady went up to another gentleman and said, did you write this book? Because when you say young lady, you mean a child. Yes. Okay. I do. I mean, a six year old. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but I told you they're confident. They're confident. Yeah. yeah. And so um, they know their value. My babies know their worth. Yeah. So, um, and they're not afraid to speak to people. And so she went up to this gentleman and asked, you know, because she had been told evidently by her teacher that the author was going to visit, you know. Um, our school. And so he immediately said no and directed her to Dr. Dickey. And so she comes up to him and she said, are you the author? You know, of this book, she's holding her little workbook, you know, our yeah. pencil in her hand. Yeah. And so he was like, yes, I am. And I think you asked her, you know, do you like it? Or it was, you know, a leading question that you yeah. said yeah. to her. And so she then said, yes, you know, I really like that the definitions, the words in the definitions are at the bottom. And she was speaking about the academic language that went along with um, the standard um, being, you know, reinforced through the graphic organizer. And so she said, it really helps me. Mm-hmm. And so when she said that, Dr. Dickey lost it, you know, he had to walk out. He had to re- <laughs> you know, I had to go check on him. I had to give him a bag of breathing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> It was it awful. Like my eyes you. turned bloodshot red and I didn't want to scare the kid, right? So <laughs> I said, I got to go. Excuse me. I got to get out of here. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. My eyes are tearing up thinking about it. Yeah, that was a problem. Yeah, no, it was amazing. And I mean, as you can see, that's the report that Dr. Dickey and I have. Like you, you know, we're serious, but at the same time, we're playful um, with one another um, around the work that we do. Um, for babies. But I love telling that story because I feel that Dr. Dickey's reaction um, mm-hmm. was just an awesome example of the passion um, that he has around the work that he does. And I think receiving that affirmation from a six-year-old um, that I've actually created something that's helpful, um, you know, for children um, you know, solidify that you accomplished your mission or one of your missions um, around literacy and education. So, yeah. you know, even though it makes us laugh, but at the same time, you know, that's the real reason I like to tell the story. Yeah. Thank you, Constance. Thanks for embarrassing me uh, in front of all of our <laughs> listeners. I appreciate it. All right. Anytime. <laughs> yes, okay. So a few more questions and I'll be out of your way here, Constance. So what have you noticed about your own instructional leadership uh, since we partnered up here? So it's, what? how do I want to phrase it? Um, 
I've grown, right? Um, oftentimes people think that leaders don't grow or leaders don't need to grow, right? You've reached your maximal growth potential because you're a principal, um, you know, which means you're the sharpest knife in the drawer, right? Or the smartest one in the group. And I oftentimes say to my teachers, yo, if you're the smartest one in the group, find a new group. <laughs> I mean, you know, with a straight face, you know, because <laughs> we got to be able to grow together and learn from one another. And if you know everything and you know so much more than the rest of us, then you need to move on and find a new group of people, mm-hmm. um, you know, who can challenge you and expand you because we we can't help you and no one wants to be stagnant. We don't we don't want to be the reason that you're stagnant. Right. Mm-hmm. So. I think our partnership has allowed me to grow and has allowed me to be challenged, right? And grow and expand my abilities as an instructional leader and to just see things differently. You know, um, I enjoy our conversations and, you know, the things that you help me to see about literacy instruction, because I am not at all a literacy guru. I'm an elementary educator, right? So my bachelor's degree is in elementary education. So I'm a jack of all trades, you know, trying to become a master of some, of some, you know, um, in these 21 years of experience. And so I know that my understanding of teaching reading to our babies and what needs to happen in order to have that outcome has been expanded by the relationship that I, you know, I have with you. And Dr. Dickey knows this, so now all your listeners are going to know. Um, I refer to him as my intellectual crush. Right? <laughs> so that's our little inside joke. You know, he's my intellectual crush. Uh, and so, um, you know, thank you. You know, um, thank you for growing me and stretching me and helping me to see things in a different way. Um, allowing me to come become more of an expert, you know, adding to my toolbox. Um, as a principal, because leading and teaching are two different things. You know, um, the the way that teachers have to be able to excite and energize students around learning to read or different concepts of reading, I have to be able to learn to excite teachers about teaching, right? And I can't do that if I'm not coming with any knowledge or understanding. I can't support them if I'm showing up with no knowledge and understanding. So, you know, thank you for that. You're welcome. And, you know, Constance, you know, I've been very careful to be a true thought partner of yours and to be an instructional, you know, confidant, because what you ask me, it stays between the two of us. And it is, I don't go to your principal, to your, your the principal supervisor, to your principal, you know, you're the principal, but I don't go to the principal supervisor. Uh, to have conversations about you or your building. And so when you enter a relationship with me, yes, I'm subject to the culture and to the policies and to the regulations of the school district, but you be- I become your part of your, what do you call it, support system. And if you can't trust me, I can't help you. If you can't trust me, I can't help you help kids. And so our relationship, you know, becomes, you know, a private relationship inside of a public school system. Right? Definitely. Consistent with policies and expectations, professionalism. 
but it's got to feel like you can go to me and ask me anything. And I'm not going to share with other people in your organization that you had to ask me that question to better understand something to better help children. <laughs> okay. I just thought I would yeah, add that. No, precisely. You know, like you said, we have to, I have to trust you. Yeah. And then you have to add value to my team, right? So I got to trust you that you're on my team yeah. and that you're coming and you're adding value to my team. And then you're adding value to me. So then I can then impart that value to my teachers, mm -hmm. which helps them to trust me, right? Because if I'm telling you to do something, I have to have something behind that. I got to show my value. I got to show what I'm bringing to the table sure. to help you believe in what I'm asking you to do. Mm -hmm. um, I have to be able to demonstrate that I too can do this. You know, yeah. um, I've taught a lesson, <laughs> you know, um, in the classroom. I've assisted a teacher, you know, in a not embarrassing way, but just to support you know, that teacher in ensuring that, hey, this standard is being taught correctly, but with love, right, and fun and caring and respect. And in order for me to be able to do that, they have to trust, right? So that trust piece is very important at every level. Yeah, absolutely. So look, we've been ignoring a big elephant in the room. We have? Yeah. Okay. As a Yeah. <laughs> let's pull the cover off this elephant. Okay, pull it off. What's yeah. up? What you got? So you all demonstrated some pretty significant gains as a result of our partnership. Can you talk about it? <laughs> can I talk about it? <laughs> students can talk about it, honey. <laughs> uh -huh. So, um, yes, we are proud of the data, my Hallmark movie in the making, 10.6%, um, you know, increase in the area of reading as measured by our state assessment. So newsflash, great news. My babies can read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. When given access, unfettered access to instruction of the highest quality taught in an environment that is fully conducive to teaching and learning and emotional development, right? Our kids can not only meet expectations, they can exceed expectations. All day, every day. Yeah, underperformance is not about the zip code. Underperformance is about the quality of the instruction inside of the zip code. Absolutely, and I get asked over and over, how did you all do that? in the midst of a pandemic, right? That That's the biggest question that I get. Mm -hmm. How in the world did you all do this in the midst of a pandemic? And my answer is we continue to teach our babies. <laughs> and um, that is not a slap in the face to any of my colleagues oh, yeah. near yeah. and far, right? Because yeah. None of us knew what to do. You know, we had to regroup. Like, what do you mean? I mean, I know personally, I had a phone call or an email saying principal meeting on a Sunday night, seven o'clock. Mm -hmm. And we were told, you're not going back in the building. Like, we're not going back in the building. We can't go back in. Mm -hmm. And so we're like, okay, when? They're like, no, like tomorrow. You're not like, we getting ready to send a call out to parents saying, yeah, we're not coming back into the building until yeah. further notice. So. Again, we had a mission and I don't abort a mission, you know, I because I don't take every mission. So if I, if I take a mission, if I accept a mission, 
Yeah. It is yeah, a worthy I, one. And I I'm going to accomplish that mission. Mm -hmm. And so I had to gather my family, my school family, and I was like, hey, we got to figure out how are we going to replicate the quality of instruction that we have been providing in our classrooms from this computer? Mm -hmm. So that is what we're going to figure out. It's not if we're going to provide it, it's how. How are we going to do this? What are we going to do? And I immediately called Dr. Dickey and I called um, our partners at Scholastic. And I was like, look, this is what we're going to do. And this is how you're going to help us. You know, I get real bossy, like, you know, sometimes, just sometimes. And so. <laughs> I remember. I remember. I still have nightmares about it. But yeah. <laughs> and so they were like, oh, OK. Um, yes, ma'am. You know, that's what we're going to do, you know, um, for you. Because, again, they're on the same mission. Right. Because what did we just talk about, Dr. Dickey? The trust. Yeah. Right. So the same way I'm committed to the mission, so are my partners and they have to be or they can't be my partners. And so Dr. Dickey is just as committed to the success of my babies as I am. And so we work shoulder to shoulder, you know, um, just to make sure like, hey, I have a strong and clear vision and common goals amongst all my stakeholders. And we're all committed. All the stakeholders are committed, even the outside partnerships you know, um, such as educational epiphany. And so we never, you know, we never steered away from that laser light focus. And we were like, we're going to get this done. Um, yeah. And and that's the how and the why, you know, we continued to teach. We, we figured out how to replicate that face-to-face in-person instruction, you know, um, virtually. Yeah. Kids can learn academic language via technology, right? Amen. Children can be presented with a performance-based objective via technology. Children can be presented with instruction that's characterized by the gradual release of responsibility. Children can receive small group instruction through uh, technology. Children can be required to use manipulatives and mathematics virtually. Yes. And yes, and yes, and yes, and yes. That was four yeah. times, right? Yeah, yeah. So we kept, no, no, literally, really, literally. We kept the practices alive, even though we were in a pandemic. Absolutely. And it worked. And it worked. Absolutely. Okay, let's wrap up here. Constance, um, can you share with our listeners about how the ideas that are impacting your instructional program are now being positioned throughout the district? What are you noticing? What's happening? So I am a collaborator and not a competitor because, and it's not because I'm arrogant, um, but I just don't feel the need to compete with people. And furthermore, these are children. So if I find something that works and that is a benefit for the children and the, you know, the babies, as I call them, that I'm responsible for, then I'm telling everybody because I want all the babies, <laughs> you know, to do well, right? This, yeah. We can't compete, you know, when it comes to the babies, we got to, you know, be collaborative. And so when I, before we even took the state assessment, I could see the impact that the practices and the resources were having on my babies and their performance and my teachers, right? My big babies. And so I continue to plug that to my chief instructional officer, as well as my colleagues. Like, hey, check this out. Y'all need to check out the Scholastic Literacy Resource. Y'all need to look, you know, at Dr. Dickey's PD and his practices and, you know, these educational epiphany resources. Like, this is what is done for my school. 
And so um, we received permission for Dr. Dickey to come and speak with basically all the principals and all of the upper level administrators in the district um, about his practices and his resources and the scholastic literacy resources. And my nudging, because like I said, I can be kind of bossy, but I'm respectful of with it, right? That counts, done. right? Okay, so. Velvet hammer, velvet hammer. <laughs> I'm an advocate. But, so anyway, <laughs> as a result of, you know, the advocacy and clearly the data, right? Um, my chief instructional officer was like, okay, 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 young lady. Um, and so, <laughs> so now there are 11 schools um, in our district that are utilizing scholastic literacy, Dr. Dickey's um, PD and practices and educational epiphany resources. And Dr. Dickey, you know, because I'm his favorite. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to tell your other listeners. Um, Don't let the secret out. <laughs> he continues to work with um, my school but he's also working with many other schools um, within our district, in our entire district. So um, he's training other school leaders um, the way in which that he partnered and worked with me. And we're really um, excited. There's a lot of excitement, enthusiasm, and energy around teaching literacy. So um, I'm trying to get 20.6% um, gains. And then... Um, <laughs> It's possible. You know, I'm, I'm psyched to see what happens in the other schools as well. You know, I think it's a movement. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you. Lastly, Constance, um, what happened? We asked you about your experience with the Educational Epiphany team. I think that we've covered most of it. Um, I just want to, again, emphasize the dynamic merging of talents, you know, and that is why it's so important that in education, we're collaborators and not competitors. Mm -hmm. You know, um, Dr. Dickey is a literacy expert. You know, I lovingly call him the godfather of literacy. <laughs> and so with that expertise that he, again, he joined my team. And that is the value that he brought, right, to the team. So that coupled with the existing value of a very strong climate and culture in that fertile soil, again, the magic could happen. And so I'm saying to all your listeners, make sure that the soil is fertile. You know, I think you said earlier that culture eats strategy for lunch every day. So make sure your culture is right and your soil is fertile so that when Dr. Dickey and Educational Epiphany come in and support and provide, you know, the PD and impart the wisdom and the knowledge that he holds around literacy and instruction, you know, good fruit can grow. Yeah, yeah. And I would say this, Constance, and I think listeners need to hear this. Good fruit is not just relegated to how, how kids do on a state assessment. That's one measure of school improvement. It's not the measure. And so when children feel more confident, that's fruit. When, when educators feel supported, that's fruit. When parents feel connected to the local school, that's fruit. Yes. When, when you reduce turnover, <laughs> Teacher turn that's fruit. 
Yes. When people rally around children in need and create opportunities for small group instruction and one-on-one instruction, that's fruit. Yes. That love, right? That leadership. <laughs> yeah. That then, opportunity. Yeah. That and then vision. The- that's and right. that expectation of excellence. That's right. And then the assessments will take care of themselves. Lord, help us. <laughs> yes. All right. Thank you, Constance, for joining us and being our inaugural special guest. We really enjoyed our time with you today. And we hope that this will not be the last time that you join us. I would love to, you know, join. You know, you're my intellectual crush. I mean... I think we have something here. You know, um, I see a syndicated um, talk show. <laughs> dream big, Constance. Dream big. Absolutely. Thank you. Or very not much. at all. I mean, why dream of not big? <laughs> Thank you, Constance. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Dr. Dickey. Thank you, Constance. What a powerful conversation. And I repeat what Dr. Dickey said, Constance, the work you're doing is is outstanding to say the least. And we're just honored to have you be a part of this Educational Epiphany podcast. Um, it was just so incredible to talk with you today. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you.